What's going on, everybody? It's your man, K. Mark. Welcome back to another episode of the 310 Podcast. Getting you ready for the divisional round weekend. Yes, yes, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is arguably the best weekend of the football season because typically we always get the best matchups during the divisional round of the playoffs. Usually, as we all know, it used to be the top two seeds coming out uh, on a bye last week. Now, it's only the top the top seeds. So, KC, Philadelphia, you're up to bat. And so, basically, this episode, hey, um, we'll, definitely, we'll be recapping what took place during the wild card uh, weekend last week, as well as getting you ready for the divisional round weekend that starts off tomorrow. As well as, I uh, definitely want to get into some, some NFL news Want to talk about uh, two of the two of one of the all time great quarterbacks and where could they be heading next year? Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Where would they go? Who knows? But we'll definitely kind of chat. We'll definitely talk about that. I definitely will begin into you about some WWE, something that I've rarely have gotten into on this podcast. But uh, I definitely want to. There's definitely some news that I definitely want to kind of talk about and kind of give my opinion to that as well as. Want to give some uh, give some flowers out to a WNBA star, arguably one of the greatest all time that is retiring. Definitely want to kind of show us the love on this one. So, with that being said, if you want to reach out to the show, you can hit me up at the three one zero podcast at gmail as well as um, you can also find me on Twitter at Mister Kmart eighty one. And so, with that being said, let's get ready to rumble. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's recap Wild Card Weekend. And we're going to start first in the Bay Area where the 49ers outlasted the Seahawks 41 to 23. Um, You know, for the most part during this game, um, Brock Purdy, for the most of the first half, he looked pretty shaky. A couple throws were kind of high, some, some were off. However, at the end of the day, he threw for four touchdown passes and the 49ers rolled in the second half. Honestly, I would definitely tell you the the key the key turning point in this game was with the um with the Seahawks trailing seven, uh, 23 to 17 and on the 19 yard line of the Niners, Geno Smith fumbled. It was a strip sack and recovered um, by Bosa and the 49ers were able to pick it up and from there, I even told my wife this game was over because honestly, Seattle was barely, was hanging on and they had done they had done pretty well to stay in the game. And it actually had the lead at halftime. But honestly, I just felt like with the momentum that was generated from that fumble, I didn't think the 49ers were um, in any danger after that point. But um, no, shout out to the 49ers. Hey, they did what they needed to do to protect home field. So they move on to the second round next year, uh, next week. And they should definitely have uh, the advantage. And I'll definitely get into their opponent in a minute. But um, deep and. One of the things, I mean, the 49ers um, in the second half, they they showed, once again, the diversity of their offense. I mean, they're getting TD runs from Debo Samuel from 75 yards. That basically put the game away. Christian McCaffrey had 119 yards of rushing as well as a touchdown. Um, that, and I believe that was the, uh, the first TD of the game. But overall, um, 
No, 49ers, I mean, I already knew that they were going to cover. I believe the, the line was nine and a half, and I took that and ran with it. But, yeah, the Niners, they dominated. I figured that they would because, honestly, I just, just did not think the Seahawks had enough horses to keep up. True, they have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Geno Smith has had a very solid season, and definitely will definitely garner some votes for most improved player, or, or either that or comeback player of the year, however you want to slice it. <coughs> Excuse me. But like I said, I just didn't think that in that environment, I didn't think the 49 uh, the 49ers were in any type of danger, even though, like I said, Seattle had the lead at halftime. And so, yeah, I mean, Kyle Shanahan, like I said, he has that offense humming right now. The 49ers, I believe, have now won 10 in a row. And like I said, I mean, they're definitely going to be a, a tough out um, in the playoffs. And so moving on, moving on, moving on. Uh, we're going down to Jacksonville. My goodness, the Jaguars rally from 27 points down to win. And this is the um, one of the largest uh, comebacks in NFL postseason history. Um, that is um, that's behind um, the game in Buffalo but in 1993 between the Buffalo Bills and the Houston Oilers, where the Bills rallied from 32 points down, as well as um, the 28 point deficit that the Colts rallied. Um, behind to beat the Kansas City Chiefs back in 2014. Um, overall, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he had a very shaky first half. Um, had four interceptions. Asante Samuel Jr. out there looking like his daddy. Got got him, I believe, three times, three of those picks. And, yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, like I said, going into the halftime, I mean, you... A lot of a, a lot of fans and a lot of experts thought that hey, look, maybe, maybe the spotlight was maybe a little bit too big for him. And however, shout out to Dougie P once again um, performing that magic. And the Jaguars they came out with the vengeance in the second half, uh, coming from behind to um, to cut the lead to two. And man, talk about implosion by the Chargers! My goodness, and you've seen it coming. You've seen it coming. And I saw, um, like, especially like during uh, the second to last drive where the Jaguars uh, cut the lead to two, um, you saw that. And honestly, I, w I will say the refs definitely missed a false start by uh, the Jaguars right tackle. Uh, he clearly uh, he clearly jumped before the snap and Nick Bo and um, why do I say Nick Bosa? Joey Bosa um, literally was trying to point it out before the play was um, the play. Uh, the ball was snapped. And you saw his frustration as he slammed the ball. Uh, he slammed his helmet down and, of course, had some words with the refs and, and of course, drew a flag. And I believe from there, I, honestly, I think if he if he would have kept his composure, I'm pretty sure the uh, the Jaguars would have just kicked the field goal to cut the lead to three. However, since uh, since that penalty put them uh, um on the goal line, I figure in knowing Dougie P like I do, I knew he was going to go for two. And of course, Trevor, um, the, uh, the Jaguars converted, and man, cut the lead, uh, cut the lead down to two. Um, and still, I mean, the Chargers still had time. I mean, the, I mean, not time, but the Chargers still had an opportunity to salt this game away. They really just needed a couple first downs. And mind you, the Chargers. I mean, they had this um, this explosive offense. I mean, you think about it. I mean, you have Justin Herbert, you have Keenan Allen, you have um, Austin Eckler. I mean, you should be able to somehow, and I'm sorry, and also tight end, um, uh, Gerald Everett. I mean, the Chargers had the weapons to do so. 
However, I mean, pressure by the Jaguars and just stifling defense kind of shut all that down. And of course, Trevor Lawrence taking them down and sending them up for the field, the game winning field goal. And honestly, I mean, creativity. And the one thing I do like is the creativity from Doug Peterson because you I mean you guys saw it like that um that potential um that potential QB sneak. Nah, Doug Peterson kind of did something different on fourth down. Nah, instead of um going for the QB sneak, it did a halfback pitch um to uh Travis Etienne, who got a big game, which set up the game winning field goal. So um so with that being said, the Jaguars move on, the Chargers go home. And now questions have to have to arise. Should Brandon Staley keep his job? I I understand that earlier this week they fired their defense, uh, their offensive coordinator, as well as their um, one their passing game, one of their passing uh, passing coaches. However, Brandon Staley keeps his job. Hmm, interesting, interesting, interesting. Because I believe, I mean, the Chargers they have the tools, they have the weapons to get where they need to get. However. They need a leader. They actually need a guy like Sean Payton. But we all know the Chargers family, uh, the uh, Chargers front office, they're notoriously cheap. And I'd be shocked if they go out and hire Sean Payton and give up the capital that is needed to get him. Because I believe the Saints are asking for a haul kind of similar to what they got from John Gruden. That's what I heard. Um, I'm... Man, because I believe I remember that was like two first round picks. I believe like maybe another pick and maybe in some cash that was involved. I'm thinking like $8 million in cash. I, don't, I really don't remember that was back in 2002. So I really don't remember. But honestly, I believe the Chargers, I mean, they have they have the type of team that Sean Payton would definitely construct into a monster. I mean, they already have a studded QB. They already have um, weapons at the both wide receiver positions. You have Austin Eckler. Um, you have a, a pretty good offensive line. And honestly, I believe uh, the Chargers are a team that Sean Payton could definitely turn into a beast. Um, and honestly, like I said, I just believe they just need a leader. They need a legit leader. Someone. And why not? Why not go? Why not get a Super Bowl winning head coach and a potential and a future Hall of Fame Hall of Fame coach? Why not? It wouldn't hurt. I mean, the Chargers, I mean, they've pretty much have been a team that's kind of been stuck in mediocrity for the past maybe 20 30 some years why not why not bring that guy in to help lead you to the promised land i don't know i don't know so moving on moving on to sunday the buffalo bills um knocked off their division rival the miami dolphins 34 to 31 and a very and a surprising close contest I was definitely surprised on how close this game really was. Um, the Bills um, beat a, a, a two-a-less Miami Dolphin team with Skylar Thompson at the helm at quarterback. And honestly, I will say, hey, shout out to Skylar Thompson. I mean, because a lot of us were kind of expecting him to wet the bed during this game. I mean, you you figure like with all the emotion Buffalo has been having over the past three to four weeks, um, especially with the DeMar Hamlin situation, I mean, you would think that in their first playoff game, they will come out guns blazing, put the Miami Dolphins behind early, and basically just kind of cruise the victory. Nah, uh, uh, that wasn't the case. Like I said, shout out to Miami, man. They kept they 
they they they they kind of they kept themselves in the ball game. They got down 14, I believe, uh, I think 10 nothing or 14 nothing. I can't really remember, but they battled back and even took the lead in the early in the third quarter. Josh Allen was for the most part he was pretty sloppy with the ball. I mean, two picks, a fumble loss, and and that fumble loss um, turned into. Um, a touchdown. Um, strip sack. Miami picked it up and, and ran it back in to give the Dolphins the lead. And Miami, they had a shot at it. They had a shot. Um, after um, and after Miami trailed 14 to nothing, um, they, um, pretty much they scored 24 of the next 27 points. And like I said, I will say after Buffalo uh, took the lead, I mean, you could definitely tell that the, Dol- uh, that the Dolphins missed Tua. Late, especially late in games due to, I mean, bad passes, missed opportunities. And it just seems like in the fourth quarter, Miami's offense was just disjointed. And um, like I said, it's just like so many misreads. It, it was just pretty much chaos on the side of, on the side of Miami during the fourth quarter. And basically, yeah, if I believe if, if Tua plays, Miami has an excellent shot at winning. True, they had a good shot at winning. I believe Tua may may have put them over the hump. But like I said, we talked about that last week with Tua and his concussions. Um, Miami, I'm guess the Dolphins. They're like, you know, hey, protect the player because I mean, we all know what's going on with this CTE. And yeah, I mean, somebody has to watch out for the player. And honestly, I mean, it sucks. I would love to would have loved to see Tua have a shot at winning this game but you know what it is what it is and wow that's definitely something that i mean miami's definitely they're definitely going to have to talk about especially going into the offseason is that if they can really rely on tua uh to be um to be that guy to lead the miami dolphins into the future so we'll see what happens with that so but no buffalo hey they survived um I believe, I believe Buffalo. I mean, they. This is definitely like a playoff wake-up call that they need. Uh, we'll definitely see. We'll definitely talk about their opponent in, in a minute. But yeah, the Buffalo Bills. They survived and move on to the divisional round. Moving on to Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, late Sunday afternoon. The my uh, the New York Giants thirty-one, the Minnesota Vikings twenty-four. Um, this is a result I actually predicted. Um, I predicted the Giants to beat the Minnesota Vikings, and they did so. And 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 doing that, they won their first playoff game in 11 years, which, ironically enough, was their uh, their last Super Bowl uh, was their victory in Super Bowl 46 after the 2011 season when they uh, knocked off the New England Patriots. Um, Got to give uh, credit to Brian Dayball. Got to also give credit to uh, Daniel Jones. Um, in my opinion, this was Jones' best game as a professional. He was 24 of 35 for 301 yards, two TDs, and honestly, I mean, he had, I mean, he control the tempo for the game um each time that the um, the vikings had scored um the giants they countered um one of the things that was definitely shocking us how the new york giants defended and in a sense shut down justin jefferson um justin jefferson um this year uh, definitely had a shot at breaking calvin johnson's uh all-time leading receiving record he only finished, I believe, with seven catches for 46 yards, and he did get a touchdown, which was the first of the game. But for the most part, I mean, he was pretty much he was pretty much a non-factor. Um, and one thing I definitely want to talk about: what in the hell was Kirk Cousins throwing at? My goodness, 
on that final drive. I mean, man, it's fourth in the season, and you throw the ball short of the yardage. I believe it was like fourth and seven, and you throw a check down for like about four yard, four or five yards, and the season's over. I mean, my goodness, Kirk Cousins, come on, man! If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna die, and mind you, not not literally. If you're gonna if your season's gonna end. I'm throwing, I'm throwing it past the yard of scrimmage. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, I know he's done, he's been in Kirk Cousins. He's definitely been one of those check down Charlie type of guys at times. And this was one of those times where you, you really need him to push the ball downfield. However, I think what it was, I think he didn't see nobody open. He got scatterbrained and saw like the next closest option that was open and which was I believe it was TJ Hawkinson and of course the Giants they rallied to the ball quickly like like Matthew, like they had been doing the entire game and uh stopped the John, uh, the Vikings out on downs so um I was talking to my cousin um after the game and he's a Vikings fan and he and he even admitted that he felt that the Vikings they did not deserve to win that ball game um, he believed, he stated that defensive, uh, defensive problems and offensive line issues, uh, throughout the season were their Achilles heel and it showed up at the absolute worst time because the, the Vikings defense had Daniel Jones looking like the, the coming of the next coming of Dan Marino. He lit them up. I mean, honestly, like I say, I had never seen Daniel Jones play the way that he played that game. And he not only did it in the air, he did it on the ground. He had 75 yards rushing for the game and i mean there are times where you saw the giants they play some like some power some power offense um lead power of for daniel jones and he was able to get downfield and make some critical plays so the the minnesota vikings once again a, a solid regular season team however once again when the playoff when the uh, when the when it's time for playoffs they kind of falter when 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 you expect them to win so yeah i mean Yes, it's. Whew, I definitely feel for Vikings fans, so it is what it is. Uh, moving on, moving on. Uh, Cincinnati 24, Baltimore 17. Honestly, this game comes down to two things Sam Hubbard's fumble recovery and the Ravens win if Lamar Jackson plays. Those are my thoughts on the matter. I definitely believe the Ravens had it. Um, they definitely could have win. Just kind of just looking at how the um, the game um, the game developed. I honestly, I actually picked Cincinnati to actually cover this game. I believe the um, I believe the line was eight and a half, and I did pick Cincinnati to cover. However, Baltimore, hey, to surprise of everybody, they would not lay down, and they played solid ball. Um, they definitely had a shot to win, and they had the Bengals on the ropes. However, that fumble recovery by the quarter uh, that fumble by the cover uh, by the quarterback, honestly. I saw what he was trying to do. He was trying to jump over the pile, at least extend the ball. However, there's a danger when you do that because when you extend the ball like that, defenders are going to try to knock it out. And he had not cleared the goal line at that particular time. And, of course, you saw what happened. It was a fumble recovery. 98 yards later, the Bengals had the lead, and they pretty much they kind of rolled that to victory. So, and you saw uh, J.K. Dobbins saying that, man, it's, he shouldn't. Um, the quarterback shouldn't have had to dive. If Lamar plays, we win. And honestly, looking at that game, I definitely believe he should. And honestly, I mean, and it definitely sucks for the um, for the um, for the Ravens players that actually played, as well as the fans, because I mean, honestly, all this drama could have been avoided if the Ravens would have taken care of Lamar Jackson. Like I stated, also, 
Lamar Jackson, he also has his um his um part to play in this as well. So I can't really give him a full pass, but yeah, I mean this is this was just a, a very this is a sucky situation and a terrible situation because the Ravens they definitely had the team that could have actually did a little something in the playoffs. However, once again, they're going home very early and a very cloudy offseason awaits them. I'm definitely interested to see what what unfolds with this, especially with this whole Lamar Jackson situation. Man, man, oh, man. Like I said, I mean, we'll definitely talk about Lamar Jackson in a few minutes. But at the end of the day, the Bengals move on to the second round as they continue and as they can um, continue to defend their AFC crown. So moving on to Monday, the Dallas Cowboys 31, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 14. My goodness, all I have to say is pure domination of the Buccaneers by the Cowboys. Um, I will say this is probably Dallas's most complete game of the season. Dak probably played the best game of his career. He was 25 of 33 for 305 yards, passing, four touchdowns, throwing, and one on the ground. His counterpart, Tom Brady, looked as if low-key, he didn't know what to do. And honestly, probably had one foot out the door. out the And... Yeah, I mean, it was just one of the things where you I've never seen Tom Brady look as flustered as he was this game. I mean, I'll probably say the one time he looked this flustered was probably the Super Bowl against the Giants. Another game was, matter of fact, uh, the AFC, um, the 2015 AFC title game against, uh, no, the 2000, I think, 13 title game against Denver in Mile High where he had no answers for the Broncos defense. And yeah. I mean, and you and actually um, was listening to like one of the clips on Inside the NFL where one of the offensive line saying, "Hey, what do you want me to do?" Brady is like, "I don't know, I don't know." Brady was confused. I've never seen him like this, and it was shocking. It was shocking to see how bad Tampa Bay was beaten down. Uh, I mean, you would think that all right, you're at home, you're playing a team that true, you beat in Week One. However. You know what? I'm not came and say that. You gotta give credit when credit was is due. Dallas, they did what they needed to do and beat the living hell out of Tampa Bay. And <laughs> there's really no real words to really describe what we saw because I mean, you saw Dallas literally put the proverbial boot on Tampa Bay's throat and choke them out early. And it was to the point where it's like, dude, why are we watching this? Why are we watching this? Tampa Bay was literally just kind of fumbling, bumbling, stumbling over themselves, and they had no, no answers for what Dallas was coming up both offensively and defensively. Um, I remember um, in the second quarter, and honestly, I believe that this was the turning point in the game. Dallas was leading seven to nothing. Tampa was driving for a potential tie. However, and it's funny, like they flashed this stat right before this play happened. It was the fact that Tom Brady had not thrown a red zone pick playoff pick and surely enough Tom Brady throws a red zone pick and we're wondering where the hell was he throwing to I, I think he was he really was trying to throw the ball out of bounds in the back um at the back of the end zone however he didn't get enough arc on it and I believe and one of the uh, DBs picked it off and honestly right then I was like you know what this game might be over because I mean Tampa Bay 
they're basically been kind of riding a thin line over the past several weeks. I mean, it literally took a miracle for them to at least to win the division. So many comeback victories. And honestly, this offense had pretty much sputtered the entire season. And man, that was just one of those ugly picks by Tom Brady. And there was no uh, playoff uh, Lenny. Like I say, just Tampa, Dallas, Tampa Bay could not get started at all. Dallas, on the other hand, basically did whatever they wanted. I mean, C.D. Lamb had a big game. Dalton Schultz was was the man on offense after Dak Prescott because he had at least seven catches for 95 yards and two TDs. And I will say this: you and going back to Tampa Bay, you have you. I've never seen a game that was the perfect micro. A microcosm of, of a season than the Bucks displayed on Monday night. Poor play, poor execution on both sides of the ball, and was just overall a putrid performance. And honestly, I mean, a lot of this has to fall on Tom Brady. A lot of this also has to fall on the Bucks management. On basically, in a sense, I believe that Tampa kept this team together a year longer than it really should have. Honestly, that team should have been dismantled after last season because, I mean, you definitely see that they had become, become long in the tooth. Injuries, they just couldn't they just couldn't avoid it. And Dallas has just stomped them out. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get back into it. So, with the elimination of Tom Brady from this year's playoffs, the question has to be asked now, where will he, Aaron Rodgers, and Lamar Jackson uh, turn up next season? Now, let's start with Brady. Um, As we all know, I mean, a lot of people know Tom Brady is a free agent. And from kind of like his press conference uh, this past week after the loss, I mean... To me, it seems like he may not be back in Tampa Bay. I mean, just kind of, he was kind of resigned to the fact that, yeah, I mean, this has been a long season and things just did definitely did not go the way that they had planned. But also, I mean, I also find it funny that, I mean, like I said, me, I've never heard him like thank the reporters and thanking the staff members, everything like that, at a year in the press conference. Never heard of that before. Maybe somebody in New England. That knows him, uh, that has heard him in New England, that might be standard protocol for him. But I've never heard him do it before. So honestly, I think Brady's out of there, possibly. Um, I believe that, I mean, even though honestly, I mean, he does not have anything else to prove. Uh, I mean, he's definitely going to go down as maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, or maybe top two. And to be honest with you, yeah, he really has nothing to prove at this point. I mean, he has the records, the Super Bowls. I mean, honestly, I mean, seven Super Bowls, nobody's going to top that. And the fact of the matter is, like I said, I mean, the fact of the matter, he he lost his family in a sense just to finish eight, eight and nine and blown out in the, in the wild card round. Ugh, that's definitely a tough pill to swallow. I mean, man, if you're gonna lose all that, you might you might as well at least get to the Super Bowl. But 
you know what it is what it is i mean from what we from what we saw from the from this offense for the buccaneers um and I know I stated it earlier is that honestly management kept this team together a year too long because I mean you definitely saw the wear and tear of this season on this team and for the most part I mean they sputtered they definitely sputtered and looking at some possible teams that that could definitely make a that could use Tom Brady's services you got the 49ers even though I highly doubt that especially now that they have a Brock Purdy under a rookie contract, possibly, and kind of looking at how things are shaking out. I mean, they could, they are going to lose Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm going to tell you that right now. They're going to lose him. They could actually trade up, trade off Trey Lance to be to be 100. They could definitely trade him off because I mean, even though he, or matter of fact, it probably won't. If anything, it probably won't be this season. It could be next season because they, honestly, I like I've always said it. After after a devastating injury like that, honestly, it takes a full year to recover. However, you don't start seeing your normal self into the following season. So who knows? A team may just want to just kind of take take that gamble. Remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. But yeah, 49ers, Bucks. I would say maybe the Tennessee Titans. I know last season, I mean, I know when Brady was a free agent, there was that there was a talk of the Miami Dolphins and Brady maybe coming together. And and especially now with this whole Tua situation, I mean, will the Dolphins look at look ahead to that? I don't know. Another team that I believe possibly can definitely go after Tom Brady. And they also had eyes on it before is uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, think about it. He goes back to his boy Josh McDaniels. You get a top flight wide receiver like Devontae Adams. You get a Hunter Renfro. You get a Darren Waller. Now that offensive line is pretty is is average at best, but that's one of the things the Raiders could do, possibly either in the draft or free agency, is draft an offensive lineman and also bring some in during free agency to kind of help bolster that line. You never know. You never know. So Another thing that honestly I wouldn't be surprised if it happened is Tom go back to New England. He goes back there, he gets the send-off that he definitely deserves from the crowd, from Patriots Faithful, and plus he can help Belichick break um the all-time leading all-time leading um record in wins. It's a possibility, definitely a possibility. And you know that that I mean they'll be competitive. They'll definitely be competitive now. The AFC East isn't what <laughs> isn't what it was when Brady when when Brady left the division a few years ago. I mean, man, you got you got the high flying Buffalo Bills. You also got Miami, and you even have a, a a solid Jets team with a couple more wins could have definitely made the playoffs. So I mean, this is this is not brady this is not your mom and dad's afc east where the patriots dominated for almost two decades so that remains to be seen um i'm definitely going to be interested to see what transpires but you know what at the end of the day brady could just simply just hang him up do i think he will i would probably say 60 40 that he doesn't i still think he wants to play he just has to be in the right situation so moving on from Brady, let's look at Aaron Bleepin' Rogers. Now the Packers situation. Well, 
is the, the situation with Aaron Rodgers is not as clear cut as Tom Brady. As we know, Aaron is under contract and is due fifty million dollars next year. I'd be shocked if he walked away from that deal and retired. So I'm gonna say Aaron Rodgers plays next season, and a couple stops where he could possibly go: the Jets, once again the Dolphins. If Brady doesn't come back, maybe Belichick makes a run at makes a run at him. We don't know. The 49ers. I mean, Aaron always wanted to be a 49ers. He's from he's from the Bay Area. You never know. I honestly think that the Raiders should go after him after Aaron Rodgers because one, he's a little bit younger than Tom Brady. B, he already has a rapport with Devontae Adams. C, I still think he has that quick release in, in that arm that can still kind of get it deep. And once again, put those uh, that talent around him, both of the offensive line, you never know. Or, fact of the matter, he could just stay in Green Bay. Green Bay could just say, you know what, we're going to go at this another year. We're going to do right by you and put and bring some weapons in. And let's, let's make one last run at a Super Bowl. Could possibly happen. It definitely could possibly happen. So, yeah, and moving on from that, let's look at Lamar Jackson. Now, as we all know, Lamar is, um, this is he's on the last year of his deal. He and the Ravens just for some reason just could not come to a, um, a conclusion on this deal. I mean, we all know Lamar Jackson, he wants the exact same contract as Deshaun Watson. Which honestly, I'm not even I'm not even mad at him for even asking for that because for one, Lamar has been Lamar has been a little bit more durable than uh, Deshaun. I believe Deshaun Watson. I believe he tore his uh, ACL during his rookie year. I can't really remember, but he's been more durable. He's won an MVP. He has led his he's led his team to the number to a number one seed, and he doesn't have the legal ramifications behind um behind him. So, I'm not. I, I totally get it. But like I said it last week, I think both parties are at fault in this. Now, could Lamar just? Could I mean? Def, there's definitely some some uh, some feelings hurt with uh, without all with all this. I think honestly, I mean, if the and honestly, Lamar could just say, you know what? Regardless of what they offer me, I'm out. Lamar could just say, bump that, uh, bump your contract. I'm gonna take a lesser deal with such and such. And then the Ravens are going to be left looking stupid. So, like I said, I mean, the Ravens, they had their chance to lock him up maybe like a year ago, maybe even two years ago. However, they chose not to. And this is kind of like the predicament that they're in right now. And that you uh, you run the risk of alienating your number one, your, your, your franchise quarterback. Honestly, one of the things that definitely could happen is that he could be franchised. Had. He could be franchised. And possibly trade it. And here's a couple of destinations I believe could definitely use a Lamar Jackson. First of all, you got the Washington Commanders. I mean, think about it. That's a freaking perfect fit right there. I mean, he lives right in the area. So, I mean, it won't be much of a move for Lamar. Um, I honestly do like that. Honestly, even though I would hate that move as a... As a um, a fan of a team in the NFC East, but honestly, I mean, that actually makes too much sense. I mean, the commanders, they're struggling with, with quarterback, with the quarterback position with Taylor Heineke 
and Carson Wentz. We really don't know what's going to happen with those two. Then you, I mean, then on top of that, I mean, you, you, you give Lamar a legitimate number one wide receiver, Terry McLaurin. And then he also has uh, Jahan Dotson and Curtis, Curtis Samuel, as well as a solid running game with uh, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. You never know. You never know. I mean, Washington would, would be very formidable if that were to take place. Looking at the Seattle Seahawks, that's another team that could definitely use a Lamar Jackson. I mean, honestly, trading away Russell Wilson was supposed to, uh, supposed to be uh, the start of a long-term rebuild for Seattle. And, however, at the end of the day, they end up making the playoffs with Geno Smith at the helm. While, I mean, you look at Denver, where with Russell Wilson, they struggle, they struggle to muster five freaking wins. Honestly, I mean, the Seahawks, I mean, they definitely come into this offseason with plenty of cash and high draft picks to add. And as well as like an intriguing group. I mean, you got Kenneth Walker, who just had a thousand yard season. Then you have the receiving duel of uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both racking up a thousand yard wide receivers. And you think about it also, I mean, Geno Smith, what is, is he is about 32 years old. And honestly, I mean, you put Jackson in that lineup. Oh my God, Seattle would be cooking in the north, in the Pacific Northwest, and would definitely add to that rivalry with the 49ers and the Seahawks. So, Seattle, I definitely believe is a definitely solid choice for that. Um, my thing is though, I don't know if uh, the Commanders would. Uh, I'm sorry, would the Ravens would trade him? within the AFC, so the NFC seems perfect. Looking at a team such as, like, the Tennessee Titans, man, a team which the Ravens, they definitely have had their runners with over the years. Honestly, hmm, they definitely do have a, uh, a ton of cap space coming in into next season, and then on top of that, I mean, you, you pair Lamar Jackson and Derrick Henry together. Woo! That is filthy because they could definitely run RPOs with that. And you get Derrick Hill, uh, Derrick Henry running downhill, man. And then on top of that, I mean, Ryan Tannehill could definitely hit uh, the free agency pool this year. I mean, Malik Willis, we really don't know what's going on with that one. But the thing is, though, like I said, is wide receivers. Tennessee doesn't have, I mean, Tennessee doesn't have the wide receivers that they once had, like with the A.J. Brown. Now, like I said, with Lamar, I mean, in a sense, you pretty much put Lamar back in the similar situation that he was with Tennessee. So, eh, we really don't know about that one. Another team that definitely could look to um, take a big swing is possibly the Atlanta Falcons. I mean... Michael Vick fans would would be, would be salivating over this move. I mean, if you think about it, though, I mean, the Falcons could have won the NFC South uh, despite having quarterback play from Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. I mean, but the thing is, though, it's very similar to the Tennessee situation. And honestly, I really don't know because, I mean, you have you have Tyler Algier. Um, racking up a thousand yards and and Cordell Cordero Patterson also having a solid season. And on top of that, you have your number one threat, <laughs> which is a tight end in Kyle Pitts. So eh, I really don't think I really don't think that would be the best fit, honestly. So looking back, honestly, 
I believe the best fit could be Seattle and Washington for where Lamar Jackson ultimately ultimately lands. So with that being said, um, let's look ahead to this weekend's divisional round matchup. And we're going to start on Saturday with the Kansas City uh, Chiefs taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars at Arrowhead. Kansas City is a nine-point uh, favorite. However, that does not mean a doggone thing to Jacksonville. No, Jacksonville has definitely thrived under, uh, as the underdog this season, and they play very hard for Doug Peterson. Um, honestly, this game, the Jaguars, they're, they're going to have to convert. They're going to have to convert on some third downs, maybe a fourth down, and find a way to steal a possession. If they can't do that, and if they turn the ball over, and mind you, <coughs> Trevor Lawrence cannot have the, uh, those type of picks that he had last week against the Chargers. Because unlike the Chargers, the Chiefs will put, also put points on the board. And the Chiefs will continue to put pedal to the metal. So with the, with KC, you don't have to worry about that uh, that conservative crap. Because if they get the ball of turnovers, they're going for the gusto. I'm telling you that right now. So it's important for Jacksonville to take very good care of the rock I'm telling you this right now so um i'm gonna take the chiefs and honestly i think they do i do i think they do cover the nine i think kansas city um uh, pulls this thing away probably by the third quarter and kind of um kind of lasts his way to a victory moving on to the afc title game moving on to the nfc you have the new york giants taking on the philadelphia eagles the Giants are a seven and a half. I mean, I'm sorry. The Eagles are a seven, a seven and a half point favorite, and you get the return of Jalen Hurts. That is the big key on on uh, to this game is how well will Hurts play, and also how long. It is not really a matter of if Lane Johnson can play, but how long can he play for with that with that uh, with that growing injury. Really don't know. We won't find out until he gets out there. Uh, the Giants coming off the upset victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, while as the Eagles, they kind of stumbled down the stretch. However, they were able to beat the Giants um, in the last game of the regular season. Although it not may not have been pretty, but they got the job done. However, I've also stated that looking at that game plan like I did last week, you could definitely tell that they're, the Eagles were very conservative because... One, they didn't want to. They were trying to protect Jalen. Two, I truly believe that there was uh, they had an inkling and and knew that there was a possibility that they would be seeing the Giants for a third time since December 11th. So, so Eagles they pretty much played it close to the vest. I believe this game the Eagles come out and send a statement, and and you know that crowd at the link is going to be uh, is going to be bonkers. And honestly, if you want to learn more about this game, you can hit up my other, my um, the side hustle, the Eagles Zone podcast. And I know that's a shameless plug, but you know it is what it is. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you can definitely hit that that podcast up just so you can, um, you can definitely kind of get more information on um, the Eagles playoff matchup with the Giants. So, so anyway, like I said, I have the Eagles. Um, the Eagles should. Um, uh, be able to cover the spread at seven at seven and a half. Um, I believe the Eagles will win pretty convincingly and move on to the NFC title game. Moving on to Sunday, you 
got the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Buffalo Bills. All right, we finally get this matchup. I mean, of course, we all know the circumstances that surrounded the last match, the, uh, the last matchup between these two. Um, this game is being played in Buffalo. I'm wondering. All right, how come this game can be played at a neutral site as well? Get what I mean? Because I mean, I mean, Cincinnati ultimately was burnt by all this. So I believe the the uh, the league kind of did the Bengals a little disservice by not maybe putting this game at a neutral site just to give them some so kind of to rid themselves the rid the home field advantage that Buffalo has. But you know what? It is what it is. But I honestly think this is going to be a very fun matchup. Uh, you got two young uh, studs and, and quarterbacking, such as Josh Allen and uh, Joe Burrow. You also have an, uh, an assortment of skilled wide receivers out there. You guys say you got T. Higgins, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Tyler Boyd. I mean, Jamar Chase. I mean, you. There's weapons all around, and I truly believe like this is this is going to be probably to in my opinion probably the best game of the division round matchups. So. Oh boy, this is going to be a little bit difficult here. Uh, and for some reason, for some reason, I really want to choose. I really want to pick the Bengals to win this game. I really, really do. However, there's a little bit of an issue. The Bengals are missing two of their offensive linemen, so that's definitely going to uh, definitely going to hurt, uh, hurt Cincinnati in in trying to protect Joe Burrow. So, with that being said, give me. Buffalo, Buffalo, they're favored by five and a half. Uh, I think Buffalo, no, I actually think Cincinnati covers. Uh, I believe Cincinnati covers. I think this is going to be a three-point game, and I think it's going to come down to the end. Buffalo makes a field goal and moves on to the AFC title game. And arguably, the most intriguing matchup of the division round pits Dallas against San Francisco. So many memories come to mind with this matchup. Because this was the rivalry of the 1990s, and mind you, the, uh, the Cowboys were on the on the receiving end of arguably one of the greatest plays in NFL history back in 1981, and a play known as the catch by Dwight Clark. These teams all um, had met three times in the 90s, with the Cowboys winning the first two, and the 49ers coming back in 1994. It went in the NFC title game. Mind you, those previous two matchups were also in the title game. These, uh, this is also a rematch from last year's wild card game where the 49ers, who basically had control the majority of the game, only to see Dallas come back. However, they kind of flopped at the end when Dak tried to run a QB draw as time expired. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. That that's, is still funny to me. But anyway, back to the game. Um, like I said, me so many... So many intriguing players um, that are involved in this matchup. I mean, you got Michael Parsons, you got Joey, uh, you got uh, Nick Bosa. I'm sorry, Nick. Yeah, you got Nick Bosa out there. You got the quarterbacks, uh, Brock Purdy against Dak Prescott. The wide receivers um, come are definitely going to come into play as well as the tight end. So, with that being said, I actually believe San Francisco is going to win this game. Um, right now, the uh, right now, the line is San, Fran- uh, San Francisco minus four. Um, you know, and the thing is, though, honestly, I believe this should be a pick-up matchup 
because I believe Dallas does have the firepower to at least keep uh, keep San Francisco's defense at bay. However, honestly, that that Niner defense is arguably one of the is, is the best defenses in the league. And yeah, I think between them and Philadelphia, yeah, you definitely have two of the better defenses in the league. So give me the 49ers. Um, but like I said, if just for some reason, I could somehow see the Cowboys coming in, to, coming in there and, and pulling out a victory. But we shall see. We shall see. So, like I said, it's definitely going to be a fun slate of games this weekend. Um, so what I'm going to do, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back with you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get back into it. All right, so we're going to start with a little bit of NBA. And we'll start with the reigning NBA champion, Golden State Warriors. Um, Honestly, I really believe the Warriors, they need to make a move at the trade deadline. I mean, right now, the Warriors are pretty, they're at this time point in the season, they are severely floundering right now. Um, Right now, they're kind of both, they're kind of boasting a record of 23 and 23, 500. Seven, uh, 17 and 5 at home, however, 6 and 18 on the road. My goodness. And honestly, I mean, go to state. I mean, honestly, it could be one of those situations where they're kind of just playing possum right now. I don't know if they're trying to get like the younger players involved, but right now, I mean, as a defending champion, you can't be floundering around that 500 uh, record. I mean, even though, like I said, I mean, it's early, it's still, I don't want to say it's too, it's early, but the fact of the matter that there is a little bit of time to turn it around, but honestly, like I said, I really believe that this team needs to make a move before the trade deadline. I don't know if Kerr has lost uh, confidence in, um, in Wiseman, because I mean, he's barely even playing at all now, and... I don't know. I mean, Kaminga has me. Honestly, it's been a very dis- uh, major disappointment for the Warriors, and because like his play has definitely been inconsistent at times. And honestly, the Warriors have flirted with the um, with the with basic catastrophe all year, and right now they're um, sitting in the seventh spot in the in the Western Conference. Even though, like I said, I mean, um, tonight. They they pretty much take care of business in Cleveland without uh, the combination of Steph, Clay, and Draymond. However, ugh, it's a lot of room for them to wake uh, to make up. Even though like even though they they're only four games behind the Kings for uh, the Pacific Division lead, you don't want to lose ground too much to where it's virtually impossible to make uh, to make up a deficit and you're going to pretty much just slide your way right into the playing game. So, yeah, I mean, Golden State, I mean, it's definitely time to kind of put that pedal to the metal a bit. And I believe they will. I believe they will. They're trying to figure some things out. Um, Yeah, I truly believe that. I, I really think that they'll eventually get it turned around. So, moving on, moving on. And the team that the Warriors faced during last year's finals, the um, the Boston Celtics, Um as you know, I mean, they defeated the Golden State Warriors uh, last night, and honestly, they did something that honestly that they weren't able to do in June. 
they were able to beat Golden State while not while not playing their A game. I mean, they basically took uh, took advantage of the situation with Golden State, and especially when uh, the Warriors went small. I mean, you think about it, you look at it like this: Robert Williams had 14 and 11, Al Horford 20 points and 10 rebounds, Jason Tatum 34 points and 19 boards. My goodness. Um, and with that win. The Celtics still maintain the best record in the East. So, um, I mean, right now, Boston, I mean, everything's looking pretty good for Boston right now. I mean, they're playing very well. And, I mean, and, that, and that's to a lot of people's shock, uh, the shock of a lot of people. Because especially with the the, uh, the incident situation that took place during the offseason, a lot of us, we just didn't know. We just did not know how the Celtics would rebound after all the news and all the drama and everything like that, but no, they're they're showing true professionalism. Um, they're definitely hardworking to say the least, and they definitely have a legitimate shot at winning the East. So, one of the more funnier things that took place was Stan Van Gundy. Um, he sent out a post uh, on Twitter and said. 90s NBA teams had just one trainer and one strength coach. They practiced more often and harder and played more back-to-back. Teams now have a huge medical and performance staff and value rest over practice. Yet injuries and games missed are way up. Something is not working. And of course, Kevin Durant, <laughs> even the Kevin Durant's uh, actually agreed with them. And he stated, quote, stand, stand over here spitting. Now, Poor Stan Van Gundy, he is not really hip to the lingo because he stated that he's not he's not trying to insult anybody or he's not talking down about him. And <laughs> a lot of the Twitterverse was on Stan Van's head, but I mean he took it all in he took it all in good stride and, and but I mean honestly this definitely brings something into question. It's like Okay. Like I say, you have all these things that are geared to help you be ready to perform. And like I said, it. I mean, you're seeing all these players missing games for. I mean, don't go to man. I've man, I've seen players over here. <laughs> oh my god, man! Play, players over here. They're more so. I mean, they they just don't like to play. In a sense, and that's just cut. That's just plain and simple. They just like a lot of them. They just don't like to play. I mean, you got this load management with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I remember LeBron was doing it for, uh, for a few uh, a few times, but I mean, this load management has definitely been a game changer for basketball because, like I said, just simple fact of the matter is that just people just don't want to play. I mean, you just look at uh, look at tonight, Golden State literally just played Boston. They fly into Cleveland. Steve Kerr sits down. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green. And that definitely sucks for those in Cleveland who bought a ticket because you think you're over here thinking that cool. I'm getting ready to see um, the Golden State Warriors ball out. Come to find out, you get to the stadium, your own person you're seeing is Jordan Poole. And honestly, yeah, I would, I would be heated at that. Man, oh man, oh man. But, but like I said, I mean, like I said, you had players back in the 80s and 90s were playing full 82 games, playing multi, multi back-to-back games in a season. 
However, players there, yeah, the players there, yeah, just like I said, they just simply just don't want to play. And then on top of that, you mean you get a break right after All Star, um, right after All Star break. Then you get like about four or five days off before you have to resume the second half of the season. So. Yeah, so, and the things, though, like I say, and you get a player, like I say, and I don't want to compare, but when you get a player like Michael Jordan, who uh, routinely played all 82 games and gave it his all. But, like I said, times have changed. The league has definitely changed. And, yeah. One another, um, one of um, the other news that um, I wanted to get into, and I want to give this player her flowers as she is retiring from the WNBA, and that is Maya Moore, arguably one of the greatest winners in basketball history, especially women's basketball, uh, especially going back and going back to her collegiate years at uh, at UConn. She was a force. She was a former number one overall pick over uh, with uh, with the Minnesota Lynx. And mind you, ladies and gentlemen, let me read off some of these achievements on her record record book. Four-time WNBA champion, a WNBA Finals MVP, a WNBA regular season MVP, six-time All-Star, three-time, uh, I'm sorry, uh, six-time WNBA All-Star, three-time WNBA All-Star MVP, five-time All-WNBA uh, first team, two times on the second team, and two times on the All-Defensive second team. My goodness. And honestly, ladies and gentlemen, this is not even close to what she is what she's accomplished during her uh her um her um, career in basketball. Because mind you, she's also went overseas multiple times to hoop. And yeah, whew, she is definitely definitely gonna go down as one of the greatest of all time. I mean, I definitely have her in my my top five of W um favorite WNBA players. Um she definitely took some time out to do some social just, uh, justice work where she ended up meeting her husband who was doing 50 years for uh, for um, a charge that happened when he was a lot young, when he was an adolescent. And she worked her butt off for, I believe, a year and a half to two years to get this man out. And eventually she did. And come to find out, they ended up getting married interesting interesting but no i mean congratulations to them definitely happy for maya morph to for her to feel comfortable in making this move to retire because as we know i mean a lot of athletes typically struggle with that but no one heard me i know she definitely has some business deals and some, some things that she wants to jump into as well as i mean like i said i mean she's also started a family so that could be it as well so once again, Maya Moore, salute to you. Good luck in retirement and have a blessed, wonderful retirement. Um, moving on, moving on. Where will Bryony James go? Um, there's reports um, that has USC, Ohio State, and Oregon being the possible destinations for Bryony, um, Bryony Young. I mean, I'm sorry, Bryony James. I don't know why I say Bryony Young, but you guys catch my drift. But no, um, honestly, I really believe he should go back to Ohio State. I truly believe that because, uh, as you all know, his dad, LeBron uh, Senior, one um, was low key, low key wanted to go to um, Ohio State, especially since he's from Akron. 
but however he just decided to jump to the NBA but in pretty basically that's a wrap for that so uh me personally I like I said I think he should go to Ohio State and ball out over there but you know what we'll see what happens I honestly think that that's some other um that he could uh, uh US USC is definitely a strong has a strong case because for one LeBron, LeBron James Jr. is lives out in LA. Number two, Savannah is is not gonna let her baby go that far without her supervision. Even though they have people in Ohio that can definitely watch him, but still, eh, I don't know about that. And yeah, so definitely interesting. It's definitely gonna be some interesting times in the James household. Um, I'm definitely happy for this young man. Because I mean, for one, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to to try to live up to your pops. Because honestly, I mean, LeBron is one of the greatest players of all time, and when you come into this league, a lot of people are going to be looking at you similar and say, "Oh, your dad would, dad would have did that." And so, yeah, definitely going to be something to definitely kind of keep her eye on as um, this year transpire uh, moves along and lastly um definitely want to get into some wwe stephanie mcmahon um is stepping down as a role in uh wwe um the wwe universe uh as uh especially known as the billion dollar princess she was married to triple h uh hunter hearst helmsley and they've basically kind of dominated the, the WWE uh, with uh, with Triple H winning um, the WWF title on multiple occasions, as well as uh, other numerous belts. Stephanie McMahon also had a, a stint as women's champion. Um, like I said, all this kind of really started when Vince stepped away maybe about a year, a year or so ago. However... He's come back, and with that, with that being said, I mean Stephanie just decided, I'm out of here. However, Triple H from, um, and and honestly, you know, there are some people that uh, have indicated that um, that um, this is all simply only coming back just to kind of help facilitate uh, facilitate a trade with. Uh, for the uh, for the WWE, uh, we really don't know like what type of percentages will be given out, regardless or or what. But um, yeah, it's definitely gonna suck. But they uh, did say Triple H is gonna uh, still kind of have con- uh, be in the lab uh, creating content. So I mean, good enough for him. But honestly, you know what? Hey, like I said, she's the billion dollar princess. She will definitely will be fine after that. <laughs> But um, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to a close of another episode of the 310 Podcast. If you want to reach out to the show, you can hit me up at the310podcast at gmail.com, as well as you can find me on Twitter at MrKmart81. And so with that being said, I'm your man, Kmart. I'll catch you with you later. Peace.